0: You can be seated. Glad to see you guys this morning. If you would go ahead and turn in your copy of God's word to Nehemiah chapter 8, that's where we're going to be. And so you can go ahead and be getting there in just a moment. We're going to read it. We're certainly glad that you're here today. And especially if you're a guest here today, I'm so glad that you would join us as a guest. And we would love to have your information. Um, you can fill the card out in the seat back in front of you and drop it into the give boxes to the right and to the left of the doors on the way out. And I just want to tell you too that if if you are new here today and people are not friendly to you, they're probably new too, okay? So you just be friendly to them and we'll just assume they don't belong to Bellwether Um, because Bellwether people are friendly people, right? Amen? They are really friendly people. So um, that all that to say, also, if you belong to Bellwether, just consider yourself the owner of the 10 feet around you, that you're responsible for greeting people and just saying hello to them. We're certainly glad that you're here. And if you're online, too, thank you for tuning in. We'd love to get your info. Um, you can email us at info at bellweatherchurch.org. It's going to be on the screen. And we'd love to hear from you. Now, as we gather in this space today, I want to pause for a moment and just use your imagination. Um, First, just to remember that there are so many other churches that are gathering at the same time in different places all over the city, all over the state, all over the world right now, that are gathering under this banner of what God has accomplished on our behalf in the gospel through Jesus Christ. And as we remember that all of those other groups of people are gathering, we are doing something that's happened throughout history with God's people, Throughout God's history, he's gathered his group of people that belong to him together to hear his word and to worship. And so today, as we gather, I want us to pause and just remember that we're part of something that's uh, along the landscape of all of history. God has been doing this thing that we're participating in today. And we're going to see specifically how God's people gathered in Nehemiah chapter 8. But we're participating in something that's happening all over the world right now in this moment, and we're participating in something that's happened throughout all of history, that God would gather his group of people together and allow him opportunity to worship him, to experience that in the context of one another, and to read his word aloud. And so as we read God's word aloud today, I want to do it. We're just us standing to attention, not standing literally, but our hearts and our lives just standing and saying, Lord, what do you have to say to us? Let's take a moment and just gather our thoughts to this one singular fo- focus that God would have something to say to his people in the same way that's similar throughout all of history in this particular moment. So let's ask God to speak to us through his word, starting in, in Nehemiah chapter 8. in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasaiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadanan, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Acab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Meisaiah, Keleida, Azariah, Josebad, Hanan, Peliah the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the Levites calmed all the people saying be quiet for this day is holy do not be grieved and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priest and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths from, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would make us both hungry and attentive to your word. And I pray that you would give us the right response as we hear it today. That as we bring our hearts to attention before this, your authoritative word to our hearts, I pray that we would come ready to receive and that we would respond in a way that honors who you are and what you've done on our behalf. And I pray that this would be so on this day and the days moving forward in Jesus' name. Amen. As many people, as I know, that are followers of Jesus Christ, if I were to ask them this one question, do you long to be renewed? The answer almost always would be yes. If you belong to Christ... And I ask you this question, do you long to be renewed, to be restored, to have this joy of your salvation restored in you again? Most people would say, yes, I want that. I want to come once again to the place where I see God for who He is and I'm restored in my joy of Him. And so in this chapter, we see kind of a framework for spiritual renewal. We've been in the book of Nehemiah for, this is week number eight, so seven weeks before this, and in all of those seven weeks, they've been working to build God's place, to return to the Place and then to restore the walls, and now they turn their attention to the real work, the work of spiritual renewal and restoration. That's the purpose for all of the work that's been accomplished up until this point. And now we get to the pinnacle of what they've come there to do, to worship God, and we're gonna see what the framework for their worship, what does it look like when they gather in his name and they've prayed, as Nehemiah prayed, that God would set his name on his people. And so this is kind of a framework for us to look at and say, okay. What does it look like for God's people to begin the work of spiritual renewal when they've been about the work of physical restoring of the city? And so now they turn their attention to God and his law. So I have two things that we're going to work through. First, the gathering of God's people. What does it look like? This holy gathering. And then we're going to look at their holy response. How did they respond to what happens in the gathering? How are they responding in the gathering? So first, a few just practical observations about the gathering of God's people. Everyone had to know when and how they were going to gather because they all showed up in one place. They were prepared for this moment. It says that that Ezra stood on a wooden platform so that he could be up above everyone and read the law to them. That means that they had prepared it for that purpose. There was preparation that led to this day. And then you see that in the, in the context of that preparation, they had a purpose together. This was the reason that they had come back to the place. I've already said that once, but that the reason they were building on the wall to provide security was so that God could restore his name on his people, so that there would be a buzz about God's glory, and now they've transitioned to the spiritual work. And one of the things that's just practical observations that anybody could, could make about this passage is that everyone showed up. They all happened to be in the same place at the same time. There was a hunger among them that for God's word and for what was going to be revealed there. Um, and, and that's something that, that I would say is just spiritually, it's supernatural. When people find themselves in alignment with one another, and if their hunger has been piqued by God for the things of God, God was working before this moment to prepare the people for this moment practically it was powerful too. They showed up and the experience of this gathering left them changed. There were people weeping and they had great joy and they threw a big party at the end of it. So this gathering was really intentional. It had purpose and it was really powerful for the people that gathered there. And the content of this gathering is really important because the content of this gathering is central to every spiritual renewal that happens throughout history with God's people. And in the present, it if we long for renewal today, both individually and corporately, we're going to see these kinds of things come about in our gathering. The first one is worship, and the second is the Word. I want to start with worship. In Nehemiah 8.6, it says that Ezra, look, at first you get this big picture that they're, they're there to read the law. But then you get down to the nitty gritty throughout this chapter of what actually happened when they gathered. Ezra in verse 6 says this He blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They weren't just there to read the book. They were there to see their God and respond to Him. So the first purpose of this gathering was to worship God, to bless Him and to say, He is great among us. He's exalted. He's high. Bless the Lord with me. So Ezra starts his role of preacher as worship leader. He starts out saying, Hey, everyone, have your attention and your gaze fixed on on God and, and who He is. And then he blesses the Lord, the great God, and they respond to it. We're going to get to their response in just a moment. Ezra is this, uh, this guy who had a desire for God's word. We're going to find out in, the, in this next point. that He not only was reading God's word, but he wanted them to understand it. The gathering was to worship him and to read about who he was. They exalted God's law. And they did it in such a way so that everybody could understand who were in attendance. The, the next part of this gathering is they they. Read the word of God aloud in the same way that we do every week. There's lots of topics that we could cover, but one thing that I hope that we'll never stray from is exalting God's word and saying, Okay, we're coming to this place of authority and saying, God, speak to us. You hold authority, we hold submission. That's our role. Your role is to speak through your word. And Ezra, the communicator, is the one who's appointed to read it aloud, and he's got a team of people with him. But first, Ezra. There's a verse in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 that describes what this man was like who stood before them. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, here's what you need to know. Ezra showed up 13 years before this day, okay? There were three waves of people that had come back. He was one of the first ones, and he had led the charge to rebuild the temple, rebuild worship. But this is getting to a point where, hey, we're all back together. We've named and numbered all the people, and here they are gathering in the square, and he gets to this moment where all of his ministry had been building to this point in time where he says, everyone, call them to attention, and they come into this, this uh, space, and he sets the law before them. Now, you can only assume that he's not only reading it aloud and clear. I mean, it's a large group of people gathered there. um, But he's explaining what it meant to them. And part uh, of the commentaries that I read this week basically said that that a lot of people during captivity would have lost the language of God's word. They no longer knew it. They had lived in a foreign land. And so there were people that were not only explaining what it meant, but they were making it clear to them because they had to translate it into the the language that they knew. So he has this teaching team around him on this big stage. He's he's one speaker among many, and they begin to explain it uh, to the crowd. Now, a few things about this holy gathering before I move on. The first thing is this, that there actually was a gathering. Now, I know that many of you are homebound right now and you're locked in your houses, maybe due to not having water today and you just needed a shower, okay? Some of you are still homebound because of COVID. And for whatever reason, what I want you to know is that in all of history— God's people have gathered physically, okay? And so we understand that this is a temporary situation where people do not gather together. But here's what I want you to know. For all of us that are debating on whether to come each week and saying, hey, can I come? I don't know. Is it safe? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I would encourage you in this. Stay away as long as necessary, but as short as possible. Because God has something really unique about the gathering of his people. And throughout all of history... He's used this gathering to accomplish his purposes. Now, we have reasons right now to not be gathered, right? Um, but for, for some of us that are right on that threshold of deciding to come back, here's just a word of Nathan kind of wisdom to you. Make it as long as necessary, but as short as possible. Don't stay away from God's gathering. Um, worship wherever you're at. So as long as you're apart from the gathering, tune in at the same time. If you're tuned in right now, I would love for you to comment and say, I'm here. I'm present. I'm watching. And then when we sing songs, do the awkward work of singing in your living room, okay? Just go ahead and do that. When we do readings aloud and it's underlined, I want you to do the awkward thing of reading it aloud so that you're participating with the gathering. Don't be separate from people, from God's people. Um, Do it as short, as long as necessary, short as possible. And in God's worship, in the gathering, Two things that we hope would always be central would be the exaltation of who He is, the worship of Him, where we're calling one another to attention and saying, Bless the Lord. He's worthy to be worshipped and exalted. And we're lifting up God's Word in Scripture. We're exalting Him and His Word and making them central to who we are in our gathering. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was, was part of the first Great Awakening in, in the United States. And at this time, there was people that were looking at the the large masses of people that were responding to the gospel and they were coming. I mean, he was a great, excellent preacher, but there were people that were criticizing the work. And so Jonathan Edwards was like, hey, uh, I need to tell you what it looks like to be a work of God, the work of the Spirit. And I I like how he describes this because there's people criticizing the mass uh, uh, conversions and lots of things. He said, look, here's how you know that a work is God's work. And he gives these five things. First, it exalts God. It exalts Christ. It attacks darkness and pushes back sin. And then he says the centrality of God's word, that God's word would be central to every major move of God. And this is true throughout history. And even in Judges, when people would realize their sin and cry out to him, they would come to the truth of who God is and how he had created them to live in alignment with him. It promotes sound doctrine, and it stirs up love for God and one another. I love that explanation of a revival because I'm praying that God would revive us as a people, not only individually, but corporately and communally, that God would do something in our generation that we have not yet witnessed, that we would see him restore not only his people, but his word and his worship among this gathering. So physically they showed up they saw God at work. And I want to get to how they responded. As soon as they heard God's word they said amen amen. Somebody say amen. Okay. There's there's just a framework for how people respond when they see God working, okay? And if some of you're like, "Hey, I'm not really the amen type." I'm just going to I'm just going to lay out what they did here, okay? Three things first the amen, and then three things that they did. They stood up in reverence. So there was a posture about them. And according to God's word, their posture mattered. They stood up in respect and reverence for God's word. It says that they raised their hands high, which is a posture of surrender and agreement. So if you've ever been looking around you and in the people of God and you see people raising their hands like, what is that about? Okay. <laughs> what are those people doing? Like, Save your questions for later, right? If that's what you thought. Listen, there's several places in God's Word where clapping hands and raising hands and bowing low to the earth. So they stood up in reverence and awe. They raised their hands in surrender. They bowed their heads low to the earth and saying, hey, I'm submissive to you. All of those postures, they mattered. And maybe you're just a little shy to let those things happen, you know, with God's people. But I just want to encourage you that when you're with God, even by yourself, your posture matters. And if you've never kneeled down to pray, there's a time for that too. There's a time to bow your head to the earth and say, I'm submitting to you and I'm submissive, Lord. You're my Lord, you're over everything. So their holy response was verbal, it was physical, Um, it it represented respect, surrender, submission, all these postures of the heart in response to God's glory. Intellectually, everyone who could understand, they gathered together. So it was saying, hey, look, this is the prerequisite. If you can hear and understand, they gathered together and said, Okay, we're going to listen. They stood attentive for half of the day. Now, I don't know which is more miraculous, their attention span or the preacher standing up there and talking for half the day. Okay, But either way, half the day they stood there and they listened attentively, understanding, and they were both giving understanding from the teaching team and they were gaining understanding, and that's what caused them to rejoice it wasn't just the emotional overwhelm of the moment. It was the fact that they gained understanding about who God is and how He worked and how they might respond to Him. They were gaining intellectual understanding of what was going on. And that understanding led to an emotional response, okay? If you're one of those people that are just completely non emotive and you just sit like, okay, numb. I, I, I want you to know that you are not my tribe of people, okay? Like, I love you, I bless you, but I am the kind of person that when I see something, I respond to something. And they responded with weeping and mourning. That was their natural response to hearing God's law exalted. J.I. Packer puts it this way uh, in, in, when he talks about this emotional response. The root of spiritual revival, both in individuals and in communities, individuals, that is the mass was, is, and always will be vivid realizations of God's holiness, goodness, and mercy, and for the perversity, shamefulness, offensiveness, and suicidal folly that he sees in our personal sins. Mourning and grief for sin will naturally result when these realizations of the truths about God and ourselves are clear and strong. The tears may very well flow. In other words, when they saw the law of God exalted, they were so moved by it. They were so moved by it. And, and, and their natural response to the holiness of God was to mourn. They began to grieve and cry. So much so that Nehemiah and the leaders there had to correct them and say, okay, okay, enough of that, all right? This is not the moment for that. This is the moment for great joy. And so he corrects it. They, were, they had an emotional response and then they turn them uh, towards joy. Look at verse 12 again. All the people went their way to eat, drink, and send portions to make good, great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This was a moment of restoration for them. It was not the moment to cry. Now next week, they're going to confess their sins, okay? Chapter 9, they're going to say, okay, we did all these things wrong. But Nehemiah is saying, look, this is not the moment for them. This is the moment for you to be happy that you've been given a chance. You've been given a chance to be restored and to be renewed. And so he spoke that over them. The primary agenda for this day was this. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This is the time to be happy and glad because God has been merciful to us. And he's restoring us in his name. And so they found out. The next day they show up. They, They have this spiritual response of hunger and obedience. The next day, look, they're coming back for more. And then it says day by day they opened the book of the law and they were just reading it for a whole week. They're just saying, we can't get enough of this. The spiritual response to God's greatness and to his word is both hunger and obedience. Hunger meaning like there's just an insatiable desire to see God once again once you see him you cannot see enough of him and here's what I I want you to know that even when you see him clearly face to face in eternity when you're standing before the throne of grace there will be more of him that you will not come to know for all of eternity you will continue to learn and to glean and to see who he is and all the facets of his glory and all the facets of his goodness and mercy and you will behold him and continue to be transformed into his image from this day to that And in all the days of eternity, there'll be more of him to know. So this present moment where their spiritual response is hunger and obedience, they find out about this Feast of Booths, okay? Not only are they like, hey, aren't you guys glad that we see God? They are rejoicing because... They're like, hey, we get to like, have fun. Let's have a party. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who's like, hey, in order for you to remember this, eat lots of good food, drink lots of good wine, and throw a party every single year in remembrance of this, okay? That's the God that we serve. Let's have a festival every single year to remember what I've done for your behalf, Okay. So that's what he says. They go back and they send the word out and they're like, you guys need to gather up your booths. And this specific festival, they basically lived in tents, which every like 12 year old boy was like, sounds fun. You know, it sounds amazing. There was lots of good food. There was lots of good fellowship. And for a week, they lived in booths to remember the 40 years that they had dwelled in the wilderness and God had brought them through. So all of this festival, they're just remembering, God, you've been so faithful to us. You've been so kind to us. You've remembered us in our great wandering. You've remembered who we are. And now we're seeing who you are. And they, they gather together. And can you imagine? They set up these booths, okay? And, and in my yard, there's always a fort either, either being built or being destructed to be rebuilt, Okay. And every good dad knows what it's like to build forts. And this moment was just memorable. They built forts to remember how they had camped out in the wilderness. And they remembered all that God had done for them. And the joy of the Lord really was their strength. So why does this matter? Why does it matter? Everyone who's following Jesus, there are principles in this text about how we too can be renewed. Every spiritual revival starts in individual hearts. And the pattern of spiritual renewal is beholding and becoming over and over and over again. Here's what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, this is God's word. This is what it means, okay? It means that everyone who has seen Christ, there's an ultimate veil that's been it's been uncovered. The scales have come in off your they've come off your eyes. Right before this, it talks about how some people, they look to God, but they can't see what He's really like in His Word. But for those who belong to Christ, there has been the veil that's been removed from us. And when we come to His Word, we see what He's like, and it transforms us. We behold who He is, and it transforms us from one degree of glory to another. That means that in the gathering, as that we we don't neglect seeing one another and being connected to one another so that we can be stirred up towards love and good deeds. The purpose of our gathering is that we would see who God is and that we would respond to him in the context of community, that we would be the kind of people who regularly say, hey, we're not going to neglect these relationships because these relationships are really important to our progress. They reveal to us who God is and what he's like and how we can respond to him. So don't neglect it. Don't neglect the the gathering because that's the first place that they beheld. And then it's personal. Beholding through God's word that you would regularly be opening God's word and saying, God, who are you? What are you like? How do you work in the world? That is how we behold who he is and are transformed by him. We open up his word and say, Lord, who are you? you? How do you work? How are you working today? We have, to, we have to regularly bring ourselves back to this place of beholding because there is so much to look at. You know what I'm saying? There is plenty of things to look at. I'd love to start a movement here in our church where we just say scripture before screens every single day. We're just like we're going we're to pursue God's word before we pursue any other thing that can enter our mind because we've been given this task of curating what goes in curating what comes into our minds because there is a limited amount of space. Anybody ever reached for your phone to snap a picture of something and this image comes up, you ever seen this image? You can't take enough, or you can't take another photo and then you go through and you're like I got to delete this one, this one, this one, this one. This one no longer matters. I got three kids of my three pictures of my kids doing this specific thing and you start deleting, getting all out. Okay? All of us have a limited amount of attention and space. We do. We have a limited amount of, of space in our minds for what we can pay attention to and what can occupy our hearts. It's limited. That means that we have to be curators. I've never been to this next place, but the largest art gallery in the world is the Louvre in Paris. Now, this is a picture of it. Everybody that's been there, go ahead and feel better about yourself than the rest of us. You, you are well-traveled, okay? You did it. You came, you saw you conquered. I would love to go there. But even in this place, it is the largest museum in the world, okay? Largest. It has 783,000 square feet. There's 38,000 objects from prehistory to the 21st century exhibited over those square feet, okay? And when you go in, you can see the Mona Lisa, and you can see all these famous works of art you're not going to see the eighth grade art class from JA, okay? You're not going to see their works there because there's someone who's saying, hey, we only have space for this thing. At some point, you got to say, this is what's excellent, lovely, noble, and it goes on the wall here. And in the same way, we have to guard our attention so that the only the things that are beneficial to us and to our souls are coming in. And I want to argue for you to have first place with spending time in God's word and who he is and paying attention to who he, what he's doing in the world first. And yes, there's a place for Candy Crush in the world, okay? There's a place for that. But it doesn't come above the things of God. He takes first priority, our attention and our gaze. We have to be curators of what we're thinking on and setting our minds on. And then he'll make us creators of things that are excellent, noble, and lovely. Because when we see our great God, it leads to transformation This is the principle of renewal, that if you put your mind on things above, it will transform you from one degree of glory to the next. And one thing I want you to walk away with today is this, that our God is so happy. He is so joyful. He is so loving and kind. He is the most joyful being in the universe. He's always satisfied. And if you have a picture of him that is less than joyful and satisfied, then you have the wrong picture of him. The second point I have today as we close is this. The joy of the Lord is our strength. One of the ways that we know that we're being transformed into his likeness is that we're becoming more and more and more like him. And guess what? He is super happy. He is joyful. He is connected always to the satisfaction of himself within the Trinity. He's always satisfied. And if you have a picture of him that is this ominous creator God that's just ready to smite you, Here's what I want you to know. He is incredibly joyful. He sings over His people. He's a singing God. He delights in His people. He's incredibly joyful. And He's inviting you to take your joy in the same things that delights Him. And to let that joy be the strength by which you're walking throughout each day. We have to maintain this high view of who God is and his holiness and sometimes it will lead us to weeping but ultimately it leads to our joy because it's in that place where we feel convicted of sins that we're reminded that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sin. We that's the only thing we bring We bring our need to the table and he brings all of his supply. And in that, we can rejoice and be glad and be happy and be confident that he's gathering a group of people for his great name to be set upon and so that he can declare himself to the world. And that is a reason to be glad. We have to maintain a high view of God and a high view of his mercy. And I want to read a couple verses that declare that. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, Blessed is the one who's... I'm sorry, no... 15, (laughs) for thus says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We need to see a great view of this God who's high and holy and then we also need to regularly be reminded that he's also intimate with those who are lowly at heart. That's the pattern of spiritual renewal, that we would have this joy of the Lord in every moment, in this present moment where we're saying, okay, Lord, you've given us a chance. You've get, you, not just another chance, you've given us your life in exchange for our own sin and condemnation. You gave us your joy and acceptance. In this present moment, that means something. In our past testimony, there's an overwhelming testimony of grace for everyone in Christ. There's some point in the story where you said, I don't know if I will make it through. And that was the case for all these people. They go and make tents, not because it was fun to build forts. They made tents because they were remembering that God had delivered them and he would do it again. So we need the joy to be in this present moment, to remember our past with it, and to look at the future and say, God, in every moment from this one to glory, you reign supreme. And for everyone who's feeling a bit condemned, I want to read this over you as a joy today, as my joy in closing. This is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit for when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand <clears throat> was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as in the heart of summer heat of summer i acknowledged my sin to you and i did not cover my iniquity i will confess my sin and transgression to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the the good news of Christ. Blessed is the one whose sins have been forgiven. He is high and holy and exalted, and he is also near to those who are lowly in heart. The joy of the Lord be your strength. Let's pray that. Jesus, thank you for your word today. I pray that it, would, that it would find its place in our hearts and that we would respond with repentance and joy. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.